Thanks for listening to the River Claremont podcast. We pray you are encouraged by today's message. For more information or to stay connected with what's happening at the river, follow us on Facebook and Instagram at the River Claremont. We've been in a series on um, the book of Acts, a time to act, we call it. And I was telling people in the, the 9 o'clock service, which just for, so, the, so 11 a.m. knows, the 9 o'clock service was on fire this morning. So you guys better bring your A game. Or I'm going to call them and get them back in here. Amen? You had, you had two hours extra sleep than they did, and you pumped 17 more cups of coffee in you. So we expect that fire. Amen? How many people are glad to, for coffee? I am too. There's just something precious about waking up in the morning, yes. and you, you smell the coffee, yes. and it's like the aroma of heaven hits you, and you're like, God loves me. <laughs> and then you take that first sip, and the warmth of heaven floods your body. <laughs> Amen? Amen? How many of you don't drink coffee at all? Raise your hands. Yeah, wow. <laughs> See, you know what, though? I remember when I went to Bible school. And I remember a person that was like, I don't drink coffee at all. Two months later, they were like drinking eight cups a day. So really, it's not that you don't like coffee. You just haven't had a proper encouragement. Tanner, no. I grew up on a dairy farm. When you get up at 3.30 in the morning, even when you're 12 years old, you're looking for something. Especially when it's seven degrees in Tennessee. You got to have something. All right. So we've been in this book of Acts. We've been going through it all. And understand why we're going through it is basically if you would take people who are interested in prophetic seasons and everything like that the prophetic season we're in as a new covenant church is the exact same as found in the book of acts it is still the last days, so to speak the holy spirit has been released he has not departed the earth as of yet we are still temples for the most high we can still be baptized with the holy spirit we can still be led by the spirit we can still have the gifts of the spirit and operation in our life how many people the lord has done supernatural things through you before raise your hand wave your hands look at that it's a supernatural church doesn't require titles doesn't require uh, bible school degrees doesn't require um ministry pages you know everybody out there which you can create your ministry page anytime and send out the likes, and everybody will follow you. Amen. But it doesn't require any of that. All it requires is a heart that is yielded to God, that is filled by a spirit that will be obedient to act when he tells you to act. How many people, God did supernatural things through you, and it was uncomfortable what he asked you to do? Wave your hand at me. Come on. Look at that. So there's the key right there. We want to see miracles get uncomfortable. Right? God will send you right up to the person you don't want to go right up to. God will have you do something you just don't feel like doing. But if you do it at the end of obedience, supernatural things happen. And to relieve all pressure, you can't produce a miracle. You can't heal the sick. You can't do anything outside of the Lord does it through you. Amen? So all we do is act like children and be obedient to what our Father tells us to do. And He gets the glory because He does the work. Amen? Isn't that awesome? How many people in here, like, you've ever, like... You, you don't even like talking in front of people, but the Lord has led you before in a public scenario, and you've actually had to minister the word, and great things happened from it. And it was like pulled out of you. You didn't even realize what was in you. I remember I was terrified of public speaking, and I graduated from Oral Roberts University with a business degree. I didn't know what the Lord had for my life uh, uh, at the time. 
And so I asked the Lord, you know, I, I felt a restraint from sending out my, my um, resume, which is part of graduating from business school. You're supposed to send out a resume because high placement looks good on a business school. And I felt restrained by it. And um, I wound up getting inv- invited to go to, to South Africa with Kirsten's dad, Dr. Rodney Howard Brown. And when he mentioned it, I, it quickened in my spirit. And I was like, I'm supposed to go to this. That's why I didn't send out a resume. What I wanted in the natural was to move to London and work in the finance district. But what God had in store for my life was entirely different. And so I went to South Africa. And here I am. I hate speaking in front of people, all of these things. And I get thrown in the deep end, sp- speaking live on television and all of these things. It's super uncomfortable. But the most uncomfortable bit was one day I'm in the hotel room. And I get a call on the hotel room phone. And it says, hey, you're needed down in the lobby. Will you come down here? So I walk down in the lobby, and a person's like, yeah, we need you over here. And I'm walking up, and there's a, it's a conference hotel. It's a big two, two conference rooms connected together, just like we have in Orlando. Hundreds of people are in there, and I look at the sign, and it was like, um, uh, grieving counselors of South Africa. And I walk in there, and as I walk in the room, a person's on a microphone. There's several hundred people in the room. They're like, here it is, Caleb Ring. A leading grief counselor all the way from the United States. We just found out he's staying in this hotel. Why don't you come up here and just tell everybody how America handles grief? Bro, like, I'm like, what is happening? Your heart's like, you just want to pass out. You want to throw up all at the same time. You're wondering, how do you do both? And I remember like walking up to this microphone, yeah, everybody's clapping, you know, and so I grabbed the microphone. What are you supposed to say? I'm not a grief counselor. I don't, know, I don't know anything about counseling grief. And so the first thing that pops out of my mouth, I'm like, well, such a great question. How do we handle grief in America? In America, we realize that there's life after death. And the life after death is heaven or hell. And so we find the best way to counsel someone when dealing with grief is to go ahead and get them signed up to go to heaven. And I'm watching like several hundred people take notes. Like this is really, it's really deep stuff here. This is a PhD piled high and deep right now. It's what it is. (laughs) They're taking notes. They're like nodding at me. These are like doctors and stuff, you know, well beyond my ears. And then I'm going through the whole reality of life after death, heaven or hell. And the only way to get to heaven is Jesus. So in America, we always pray before we go into grief counseling and we ask for Jesus to show up because he's the healer of the heart. And people are like, yeah, this is good stuff. You know, then I lead the whole room. I'm like, here's, here's an example. Let's do this together. Put your hand on your heart and say, Jesus coming to my heart. And there's like several hundred people, Jesus coming to my heart. I mean, people start getting touched. It's like peace is falling. I'm like, you feel that peace? You feel that peace? That's how we deal with grief. That's how we do. And they, they literally gave me a standing ovation. Like this was the best. I walk out of that room and I'm like spinning. I'm like, I hate whoever set this up. And I went right for the lady that threw me in the deep end. I was like, you ever do anything like that again? You're going to meet Jesus sooner than you think you should. But the Bible says, be instant in season and out of season. Amen. You never know what the Lord will. It would be funny when I get to heaven if someone walks up to me like, hey, Pastor Caleb. That's a horrible African accent, but you get it. I was in the grief counseling room. You prayed, Jesus, 
I failed Jesus. It'd be awesome, wouldn't it? You never know. I mean, you, you, you meet people all the time. You have no idea what your life can do if you're just willing to share Jesus with someone. Amen. Amen. All right. So Acts chapter 10 is where we're beginning today. We ended last week with Saul on the road to Damascus encountering Jesus, radically getting saved and a destiny or a ministry calling being birthed upon him. Of which, even though he was made blind through the encounter, he saw something supernatural, as we'll read later in the book of Acts, where he says, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. There is the unseen realm and the seen realm. The unseen realm is just as real as the seen realm. Everything in the seen realm exists because of the unseen realm. By faith, we understand these things. It's the word of God that has fabricated and made the entire world of which we live in. This earth has a timeline. It will come to an end. You, as a born-again believer, do not have a timeline. You will not come to an end. You will live forever. Heaven is real. You're going there, and I will see you there. Amen? We will be friends on the other side, and as we like to say, you'll have tigers and lions and all sorts of cool stuff up in there. Right? Did you just say hell yeah? No, I said yes. Oh. <laughs> I thought Pastor Mark's like, hell yeah. I'm like, no. When we're talking about heaven, we refrain from such thing. <laughs> hell yeah, in heaven I'll have that. <laughs> he didn't say it. It sounded like it. I'll take your word for it, Pastor Mark. (laughs) All right. Acts chapter 10. Let's get into it today. See what the Lord has in store for us. I'll try and be quick. All right. (laughs) In Caesarea, there lived a Roman army officer named Cornelius, who was a captain of the Italian regiment. He was a devout, God-fearing man as was everyone in his household. He gave generously to the poor, and he prayed regularly to God. And one afternoon, about three o'clock, he had a vision in which he saw an angel of God coming toward him. Cornelius, the angel said. Cornelius stared at him in terror. What is it, sir? He asked the angel. The angel replied, Your prayers and your gifts to the poor have been received by God as an offering. Just let that sink in how precious that is, eh? Natural things... Move the heart of God. This man just simply loved God, even though he was not told by anybody on the planet Earth at that time that he had access to him. Yet he still prayed to him and he still gave because he felt such a devotion towards a God he did not really know. And it says, um, They've been uh, received by God as an offering. Now send some men to Joppa and summon a man named Simon Peter. He's staying with, with Simon, a tanner who lives near the seashore. As soon as the angel was gone, Cornelius called two of his household servants and a devout soldier, one of his personal attendants. He told them what had happened and sent them off to Joppa. The next day, as Cornelius' messengers were nearing the town, Peter went up on the flat roof to pray. It was about noon, and he was hungry. But while a meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance, and he saw the sky open. And something like a large sheet was let down by its four corners. And in the sheet were all sorts of animals, reptiles, and birds. And a voice said to him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. And now, Lord, no, Lord, Peter declared, I have never eaten anything that our Jewish laws have declared impure and unclean. 
But the voice spoke again, do not call something unclean if God has made it clean. The same vision, that's powerful, isn't it? The same vision was repeated three times, which means Peter was hard-headed. It's like, no, nah, that ain't really, that ain't, that didn't really happen. Third time, nah, I don't know. Or second time, then third time, okay, maybe it's the Lord. Peter was very perplexed. What could this vision mean? Gee, I wonder what it means. Just then the men sent by Cornelius found Simon's house standing outside the gate. So Peter has a supernatural vision. First thing I want to draw your attention to is what sort of a man was Cornelius? To where at this time what we're reading is actually the first birthing or emerging of Christianity outside of Judaism. On the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit fell upon Parthians, Medes, Elamites, those from Mesopotamia, and all of these things. But it is understood scripturally that they were in town for a Jewish celebration, which meant they were practicing Jews. And so when the Holy Ghost fell in Acts chapter 2, even though they were from all different areas of life or regions, they were practicing Jewish people. This in Acts chapter 10, Cornelius is not a practicing Jew. He does not follow Jewish customs. He probably has bacon in the morning. Amen. He probably goes out and still has an elevator that works on Sundays where you can push buttons. And only people that have been to Israel know that. It's the weirdest thing. Sabbath, you can't work, so you can't push buttons in elevators. So you have to go upstairs. That makes sense. For me, an elevator is less work than stairs, okay? I will always take the elevator. And they're like, be healthy in life. Choose the stairs. You be healthy for me. I'll take the elevator. All right? But so he's not a Jew. He does not follow Jewish customs. He doesn't. He's probably not circumcised. He's, he's what they would label a person that God is not going to reach because he is unclean in all ways and he's not following any customs. So therefore, he is outside of the realm of God reaching him. Yet, God gives Peter a dream of animals, says eat them, to show him that if God labels something as blessed or holy or welcome or clean, then it is that because God says it. Amen. How many people are grateful for this because you are not of Jewish background? Come on. You are, I mean, me, I don't think I have any Jewish background as far as bloodline. And I definitely don't know the Feast of Tabernacles, the fire to dream of the to shofar. I don't know anything Jewish. I don't wear a, a what is the hat? A kabod? A yarmulke. Put on your yarmulke. <laughs> I don't know none of that. And I don't need to know any of that. You know why? Because none of that gives access to God the Father like Jesus Christ does. So Cornelius is a, is a mold-breaking, shattering person that was so hungry for God. He had heard of Jesus. He had heard of the miracles. He had, he had testified to it. And though he knew nothing about Jewish custom, he believed in the man Jesus Christ, that he was the Son of God. And so he was devote towards him. And because of his devotion, 
God gave a dream to what would have been really the chief apostle. He's like the, the, the head of the church. This is Peter, the one that Jesus said, Upon this rock I'll build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And we understand it's the revelation of Jesus, which is what's happening here. But Peter was a man of superiority in the church. And God sends him into this place because it took someone at that level because people resisted what happened. Religion always resists what the Spirit of God wants to do. Man always wants to label what is holy and what God will and will not do. You don't know what God will do. God will blow your mind and then blow it ten more times. Some of us sitting in this room, if we were to give our testimonies, it would blow the minds of religious people because they would not believe that God would have met us where he met us. And yet he was right smack dab in the middle of a torn up, thrown apart, trash life. Jesus walked in the middle of that. Come on, right when we're screwing up, he's walking in. That's the God we serve, amen? This is the interesting part of it all. Is that they were so opposed that Peter... First of all, marvels that the Holy Spirit fell upon him. In, in verse 44, it says, Peter was saying these things. So as he's preaching about Jesus in Cornelius' house, while he's still speaking, it says, the Holy Spirit fell upon all who were listening to the message. The Jewish believers came, who came with Peter were amazed that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles too. For they heard them speaking in other tongues and praising God. Peter said, can anyone object to their being baptized now that they have received the Holy Spirit just as we did? So he gave orders for them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And afterwards, Cornelius asked him to stay with them for several days. It's exciting. It's wonderful. It's glorious. And yet when Peter gets back, he's drawn before the council because they're upset. Because he went to an unclean person's house. Isn't this awesome? Acts 11 is literally a whole debate from the church leadership saying, why would you have gone to the Gentiles? They are not worthy of the message of Jesus Christ, of which Peter then has to retell the dream. Thank God that he gave Peter a dream so that the church could also hear it three times and get their hard heads dealt with and realize that God does not move in the mold of which we tell him to move. Amen. How many people in here, the Lord has done something in your life that you, would, you were like, what are you doing? <laughs> but trust God and it will be awesome. Yeah. Peter says in uh, chapter 11, verse 15, as I began to speak, Peter said the Holy Spirit fell on them just as he fell on us at the beginning. How did the Holy Spirit fall on them at the beginning? Mighty rushing winds, cloving tongues of fire, and they all began to speak as the Spirit gave them utterance. So this is what happened in Cornelius' house as he was yet speaking. Then I thought of the Lord's words when he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And since God gave these Gentiles the same gift he gave us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to stand in God's way? So when the others heard this, they stopped objecting and they began praising God. They said, we see that God has also given the Gentiles the privilege of repenting of their sins and receiving eternal life. How does this apply to us in the modern day church. It's the same principle that we still believe that God will move where we think he should move and not in areas we don't think he's going to move. Let me tell you something. The Holy Spirit is everywhere at any given moment. He's right now in bars across the world. People that are snorting cocaine in a back room will encounter the Holy Spirit of God sometimes. 
God is not bound by your religious devils that tell him where he can and cannot operate. God will be found right smack dab in the most heathen of heathen locations, still being holy, still being wonderful, and still delivering lives because that is who he is. He'll find an alcoholic right at a bar about to give his last drink and speak to him and set him free. He'll utter something in a strip club and deliver somebody in the midst of a den of sin. God is a God of supernatural redemption. He never writes anybody off. There is no wall, no mountain, no river so deep, so tall that could hold back the God that we serve. He can do what he wants to do. And all he's looking for is a church that will say, yes, God, have your way. Have your way. Have your way. Which is what we're talking about even in America. You write it off in the natural. Baby, she is gone. But God. God can take the chiefest person seeking to destroy this nation and radically turn them around. God can show up in a bedroom when they're sitting there glorifying their own money and walk right in and strike them with fear and terror and they'll be on their face. Another God that we know. Somebody say amen. I believe that we're going to have and are having a glorious move of God in this nation. Right now, our friend Dr. Charles Karuku that's going to be with us for Revival Weekend, he's been calling me nearly uh, every other day or texting me every day, giving me updates. He is right smack dab in Minneapolis where George Floyd was murdered, where Dante Wright has been killed. There's absolute anarchy on the streets in America where it's buildings being burnt, uh, police offices being just graffiti all over them, threats constantly, and they've been there every single night with local churches linking arms outside the police departments, preaching the gospel. And he says, you will not believe what we're seeing. People coming in angry, screaming at us. We just hug them. The glory of God is falling. People are repenting right on the streets in the midst of anarchy. The Holy Spirit is still moving because that's the God that we serve. Somebody grab this right now. That's why he said God can turn a riot into a revival. But you got to be bold and you got to get religion out of your mind. Stop telling God who he is. You don't know who he is. You could spend a hundred years trying to figure him out and he would still blow your mind. Come on. Theology is in itself an oxymoron. Theology means the study of God. How is your three and a half pound brain going to understand God? Huh? His ways are above your ways. They are greater than your ways. They're holier than your ways. They're mightier than your ways. He knows things you don't even know. He's been in every room. He's the fly on every wall. He's the spirit that moves. He's heard all things, knows all things. And the Bible says his eyes run to and fro across the earth, searching for a heart that he can show himself strong on their behalf. Let me tell you, there are hearts that God is encountering in a mighty way right now. We call forth the Corneliuses. Let them rise from the ashes. Let them rise and blow the church's mind. Let the religious people gasp and gall while God gets to do what only God can do. Amen? Tell you, man. God will take a dude straight off the streets and use him, send him forth in the ministry. Think about the demoniac that was bound naked and in chains. I mean, Jesus sets the guy free. And doesn't say go to Bible school. Doesn't say follow me around a little while and figure this kingdom thing out. He just says go and preach. Tell people what I did. That's the only requirement. Did God do something in you? Did he change your life? Then tell someone about it. 
Bible says he went to a city called Decapolis to 10 cities. And people were terrified. They liked him when he was naked and in chains. But now that he was clothed and in his right mind, they didn't know how to handle him. <laughs> What's up with that? Wow. I love God. I love the stories that he weaves together. I love how he'll find people in the most obscure locations. And he'll turn their life around. People in this room came from drug background, alcohol background, crazy life, living hard, dying young. In the midst of that, you met a God that was supernatural and eternal. And he redeemed your story. And you're not the same person you once were. You can't even think like you once thought because that person is dead and buried in the ground. That's the God that we serve. And if he can do it for you, he can do it for anybody in the earth. So do not sell God short. When we say revival, we mean revival. We mean God will have his way. And revival is marked by hearts turning back to God. Amen. And that's why I remind you, your personal call to revival. Don't just put everything in a group context like God's going to do it in a group. What is he doing in you? What, what are you allowing God to work in you and through you on a regular basis? How open are you to the Holy Spirit right now? We can come to a church where the glory falls, but we can be closed when we leave the room. Come on. Saul felt peace when David played, but when David left, Saul was tormented. You have a call to God to truly live free. And the only way you truly live free is by open yourself and say, search me, O God. Come deep into my life. Go through my house. Go through my everything. I have a drive in my heart to know you and to be known by you. I will hide nothing from you, God, because you've got to live like this is your last six days on planet Earth. And if you knew you were leaving this Earth in six days, what would you do? Come on. You'd live different, wouldn't you? Live like you got six days left, but treat people like you're going to live forever. And then you will be mighty for the Lord. Amen? So what's happening in Acts 10 and 11 is the separation of Christianity versus Judaism is beginning to fall. Now, Christianity is not named yet. It comes in the book, uh, chapter 16 of the book of Acts, when we first find the name Christianity being used. But we can see the tension that exists and has always existed in the plant, on, on the earth of of religious wars and all of these things. That's why we always say in the Christian world, we, we don't have a religion. We have a savior. We have a relationship. Amen. It's not about fighting to prove or justify things. It's about letting God be God and just letting him fill your life and trust him every step of the way. Amen. Now, Acts chapter 12, we'll start at the start of that. It says, verse one, it says, about the time King Herod Agrippa began to persecute some believers in the church. Now, as we read the book of Acts, I do want you to just realize how often they are persecuted. And secondly, how much their attention and focus is on the Holy Spirit. Right? It wasn't, I mean, there was the tension between the church leaders was trying to formulate doctrine and understanding, which still exists today. People get in the theology world and argue these things. But the early church understood that 90% of what we do is, is empowered by the Holy Spirit. Modern church, 10% of what they do is the Holy Spirit. you got to be fully all the way in the Holy Ghost. Amen? Amen? And so, in chapter 12, persecution is arising as usual. You know, they're turning the world upside down. So King Herod Agrippa begins to persecute believers in the church. He has the apostle James, John's brother, killed with a sword. And this is the second martyr of which we read in Scripture, Stephen being the first. 
When Herod saw how much this pleased the Jewish people, see the Jewish people that hated the apostles for bringing the gospel to Gentiles, they loved it. They, they, he also arrested Peter. This took place during the Passover celebration. He imprisoned him, placing him under guard of four squads of four soldiers each. And Herod intended to bring Peter out for the public trial after the Passover. But while Peter was in prison, the church prayed very earnestly for him. Say earnestly for him. Now, on that note, in May 21st, you can put it in your calendar. And I would love to see this place slammed full. But we're going to have an all-night prayer meeting May 21st. Because there's a lot of things that we need to see a breakthrough for. And I've been very vocal, and I'll stay very vocal. Right now, if they were to get their way and pack the court in America, you're talking about a total turnover of rights of American citizens where they would take your guns away, and if they take your guns away, they'll take every other right away. Say, I don't believe it. Look at Cuba. Look at Venezuela. Look at Russia. Look at China. Look at Nazi Germany. Every time the attack came to disarm the people so that they had no resistance left to fight against tyranny. You think that freedom doesn't matter to God? Freedom matters to God. And just so you know, the, the whole concentration camps in Nazi Germany were not just filled with Jewish people. There were believers, Christians, that were German Christians that loved Jesus and saw it as wicked and were vocal to stand against the government at that time. They were rounded up thrown on trains, and shipped off to concentration camps too. They were killed just the same as Jewish people. Because at that time, Nazi Germany, they created state churches. State churches were churches that would yield to the Nazi regime and not speak out against what they were doing. And there are true story accounts that you can read regarding this time period where two churches side by side on a street corner, one a state church, the other one that would not yield and stood against the Nazis, They would line up and drag the people out and you could hear screams and the state church was said to sing louder to drown out the screams of their brothers being drug off for standing against the Nazi regime. Well, let me tell you something. I'll be the one to drug off. You can just take me down to the concentration camp and you can watch me disappear to 80 pounds because my eyes are not in this world. They're looking to something else and I will not stand before God as a little weak person that yelled it to what was popular with man. I'll stand for freedom. And I mean, this church, we need a miracle in America. I'll just tell you right now. And so I believe earnest prayer availeth much. But I'm telling you these fuels, you say, why are you saying that? To give you fire in your gut to realize why we need to pray. You say, I'll pray when it starts to affect me. If you pray when it affects you, it's already too late. You got to rise up right now. There are churches in America that can't meet. There are cities being torn apart. We got brothers linking arms for fear of death outside of Minneapolis and Brooklyn Center police departments. We got police people being murdered on the streets, and we're sitting here acting like nothing's wrong. Let me tell you something. There has never been a time more than now that the church has got to rise up, tap into something supernatural, stop making excuses, and pray like it all depends on the church. Declare the glory of God on this nation one more time. One more time, God. Reverse hell. We bind hell across this nation. We will not be quiet. We will be loud. We will shout it. We might not be popular, but we don't care because we're not in a popularity contest. Amen? People will say what they want to say about people that stand. But the Jesus came to set people free. And the very people he came to set free cried out crucify. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
So understand this. When you fight for people's freedom and you fight for holiness, the very people that stand against you are the ones that you're fighting to see free. And never underestimate what God can do. Amen? Amen. Come on. The church is littered with martyrs. In the, in, the, in the book of Acts, people gave their life for this. Now we can sit comfy and display on our Facebook wall that we're Christians and there's no threat of death. Well, if we stay asleep, there will become a threat of death in this nation. Mark my words. But not on my watch. Amen. Amen. Are you okay? Are you all right? Anybody in here like, maybe I should leave? If so, it's cool. Just act like your kid is crying and check, check out. But we're a church that stands. We're not quiet about what is happening. In the, you say, well, well, how does that apply? Listen, Jesus is Lord in every nation of the earth. But America, we have more freedoms than other nations. And I have young kids. And I want to fight and see the glory of God poured out in this nation one more time and turn this hell back. If you're with me, shout amen. amen. So May 21st, we're going to pray. But beyond that, look at this. Two, two people in the body of Christ. One got killed by a sword. The other one... Peter supernaturally was released from prison. He was thrown in jail. An angel comes in. Shackles fall off. Doors open up. He's walking around. He thinks he's in a dream walking down the street. Sixteen guards all fell asleep. Praise God for that. Amen. Ain't nobody give you rest like the Lord. (laughs) Do you have trouble sleeping? Just say, Lord, make me like one one of the jailers watching Peter tonight. May I fall in a heavy rest and... Wake up when that's time to wake up. Lord, put him to sleep. He walks and he knocks on the door. The person doesn't even open the door. They're like, it's the ghost of Peter. Where's that? It's the spirit, it's the spirit of Peter. Like all the religious folk, they're like, I can't be with you on Sunday, but I'm with you in spirit. With you in spirit. What you don't see is every empty chair. There's like 10 people piled up. They're with us in spirit right now. We feel them. You feel their spirit? I feel it. Thank you for being with us. Every time people say that, I'm like, I feel so encouraged. (laughs) Married my wife. She looked at me. She's like, I'm not going to live with you, but I'll be with you in spirit. (laughs) Show up sometimes. Amen. We're We're with you. And if you're watching online, I'm not making fun of you. You don't live around here. I love you. That is, if we, if we even have a broadcast left, left after everything I've said, they might have shut us down. <laughs> it's getting more and more. You don't understand the cancel culture, the political correctness is all meant to silence people from talking. Because I want you to know that there are many people in this nation that have not drank the Kool-Aid. But they don't want you talking because they want you thinking that the mainstream is the correct. That is not correct. No, those are lies perpetrated from hell. We're not all perverse. We've not all sold our soul to hell. We still stand for righteousness. We still believe in brotherly love. We're not a bunch of racist, hating people. We love people. We're full of love. We give to people. We give to the poor. We help people across the street. We, we look out for young kids that aren't even our kids. It takes a village. Amen. There's a lot of good people left in America. But it will, it will be taken from us if we do not get vocal about these things. Right. Amen? Amen? So, my name is Caleb and I approve this message. <laughs> Amen. Amen. They prayed fervently. Fervent prayer. 
is such an important part of your life. You got to make room in your life for prayer. True fervent prayer moves the heart of God. It's like God is a God of passion, I believe. He's a passionate God. He talks about he's jealous over you. He's a passionate God. When you get passionate, it moves the heart of God. He's like, look at that devotion. Look at that fire. Look at that passion in that person. When's the last time you were so passionate in prayer, you stopped sounding good and you slurred words and you didn't care? You got people that are up there, Father God, dear Father God, and your Father, Father God ways, Father Lord, Jesus God, move Father God. My gosh. By the time you take Father God out of the 17 minutes they prayed, they said, would you? Could you? Maybe. And they said, Father God, 700 times. I mean, maybe they're just going for annoying God so much that he just does something for him. He's like, could you just, could you just, could you just, okay, okay, Father God, Father God, that's me. <laughs> and people come up with these elaborate prayers. Bro, I make up words when I pray sometimes. I get to this place and I'm like, there's got to be a word. It's like you get out of the box of just what you're thinking. You get into the place where the Holy Spirit starts leading you to pray about stuff. You get to this passionate place where you don't sound good. You're spitting, you're shouting, you're crying, you're laughing, you're groaning, the Bible talks about, with groanings that can't even be uttered. So there's a time in prayer where you literally get to this place where you're like, ah! You say, I've never had that. Wait until something really hits you deep. Wait until you're facing a death threat to your family, your kids on the lifeline, something you find yourself, something clicks on the inside of you and you're like, I don't care if it sounds right and I don't care if 10 people are hearing me. I'm praying like I've never prayed before. There was a time when I was in Bible college. um, Between my first and second year, I went home and my dad called me this Father's Day summer and between my first and second year of Bible college, my dad calls and says, your aunt just took her life. Would you come up here? It was his baby sister. I walked into her bedroom. There was a gun on her chest. She was sitting there cold. And man, I clicked into mode. I'm talking, you're not supposed to do this. Don't follow my lead. But I took the church, the gun, I tossed it aside. I'm praying. I mean, I'm like shouting, shaking the body. I'm talking, drawing on biological studies and physical science. I speak to the heart, the ventricles, the atriums. I mean, I'm just naming stuff that doesn't even, that probably doesn't even exist. The capillaries, pump capillaries, flood flow, heart go, brain work, waves flow, shut up, I'm going nuts. I've got this body and I'm just going to town. I come out of it, 15 minutes of praying, the most fervent prayer, screaming, binding, loosening, just going to town. And when I finally realized, you know, she's still dead, I put the body down and I look and there was like six police officers cowered in the corner. They didn't even try to do anything. They were like. And I looked at them and the guy was like, you done? But there's something about that fervency. You say, well, why didn't she come back? Listen, I walk into the bathroom and on the mirror, she wrote in lipstick, let God be the judge. When I read that, it's like before I was walking in the bathroom, I said, God, you have about five seconds to speak to me. Because you can either do what you say you can do, or you can't do it. And if you can't do what you say you can do, then why would I ever serve you? 
And I walk in the bathroom. I read those words and the spirit of God spoke to me as loud as you can hear my voice. And he said, Caleb, I've given every person on this earth free will. She freely chose to take her life and I can't disrupt that. But if you ever come across a person on this earth, taken from this earth outside of their free will, I will bring them back for you. The next year, I'm walking out of my church in Nashville, Tennessee, same church Charlie Champ and I go to. It's called The Move at that time, or Highways and Byways. We change names all the time. And I walk out of the church building, and instantly right in front of me, a head-on collision takes place. Body lays on the road from a, from a motorcycle. I run out there. I was the first person on the scene of the accident. He's lying lifeless in the middle of the road right outside of Hickory Hollow Mall in Nashville, Tennessee. Blood starts flowing from his motorcycle jacket. I flip the visor up. His eyes are open, but it's just the whites of his eyes. He was laying there lifeless. And I felt so sick to my stomach. And the thought actually came into my mind, I wish I had left church 10 minutes ago. Because then I wouldn't be here right now. And I put my hand on his chest. There was no breath, nothing. And I'd, all I could do is pray in tongues. Acts, Romans 8. When you know not what you ought to pray, the Spirit himself speaketh through you. And I just began to pray in tongues. It didn't feel bold. It didn't feel powerful. But I'm praying and I'm praying. And another person came and knelt down. Another person knelt down. And then my dear friend from Bible college was with me. And I heard him stand up. He stood on the back of a pickup truck. Because probably 50 people had already gathered. Because this is a very prominent mall. It's like Millennial Mall. And tons of people right on the access road stopping. Cars piling up. Body people running out there. He's standing on the back of a pickup truck, and I can hear him screaming, If today was your last day, where would you spend eternity? Jesus loves you. He cares for you right now across this place. Open up your, ha- your heart. Raise your hands to the Lord. Ask Jesus in. And I'm hearing it, and all this crowd saying, Jesus, come into my heart. They're crying, and suddenly as they're saying these words, I feel this man's chest go, <clears throat> He takes a deep breath. We had been there for minutes, man. And I'm like, a crowd had gathered by now. And then it goes out, and then he takes another breath, and then it goes out, and another breath, and another breath, and then his eyes roll back, and they're looking right at me. And I was like, what's going on? What's going on? And he's like, you know, at that moment, you don't really know what's going on. The police, or the ambulance arrives, they push me aside, they say, give him room to breathe, and then they proceed to crowd him. Never understood that one. You're giving him less room than I gave him. <laughs> and they slipped the helmet off. They cut off the jacket. They cut off the t-shirt. That man stood on the road, blood everywhere, and he didn't have a scratch on his body. That's a true story. Fervent prayer. Fervent prayer. Fervent prayer. There's a place in prayer you're supposed to get to where you get out of the logical reasoning part of your brain into a spiritual place where you don't care if, if you even have a vocabulary to take you there. You're just praying, and there's sometimes it's groaning, sometimes it's uttering, sometimes it's spitting, sometimes you're shouting, sometimes you're crying, sometimes you're quiet, but it's this place of prayer that availeth much. The church prayed earnestly for Peter. He's locked in prison. There's no hope of release. It's impossible for this man to get out of jail. He killed James. He'll kill Peter. But the church said, not today, Satan. And when they said, not today, Satan, down the road, an earthquake shook that prison. And gates began to open. And chains began to fall. And those that resisted were falling asleep. And God set Peter free. Church, let's pray. God, set America free. 
turn her loose one more time. Pray for it. It can sound rough. It can come out as groanings of deep intercession, but one thing is for sure. A born-again believer that prays, God is listening to you. For the Bible says in Psalm 34, 15, the eyes of the Lord watch over those who do right, and his ears are open to their cries for help. You say, the Bible says we, we know that he hears, and he's faithful. Because we know that he hears, we know that we can trust that he will answer. God is looking for a praying church. Every great revival of the past was brought about by a season of intense prayer by the church where you wrestled things you didn't even know you were wrestling. Where you spoke things out you didn't even realize what you were speaking out. Come on, church. Who in here has been feeling a driving by the Spirit into the realms of prayer? Don't quench that fire. Put more oil on that fire. You pray and you understand it's not about people seeing you. It's not about a platform. It's not about a social media page where people listen to your prayer. It's not about acknowledgement of men saying you pray so powerfully. It's about a place in prayer where you pray and you touch heaven and heaven touches you back. It's a place where you get out of the realms of logic and you can speak something original into this world because you're tapping into the one that has the plan to begin with. Amen. Most people's prayer lives is literally held captive by you giving God a strategy of how to help you. Well, God has a better plan than you do. Yes. Amen? Amen. So find how to get rid of your strategy and your plan and tap into God's strategy and his plan. And just pray. Seek God. Rise up in the morning. Let heaven bombard your, bombard your, your house. Let the glory of God fill it. When you're driving to work, stop listening to the morning radio. It's the most annoying thing. And for the life of me, I've never understood why it ever existed. Who listens to those people? Good morning, Tampa Bay. What? Like it's almost enough to drive to the radio station and give them a slap. Shut up. I spilt my coffee because you shouted. Nobody cares about your prank calls first thing in the morning. What's wrong with you? Shut it off and pray. Seek the Lord. You got a five-minute drive. You got an hour drive. Seek the Lord and let the atmosphere of your pickup truck or your car be transformed by the glory of God. Tap into something supernatural and watch what the Lord will do. Fervent prayer availeth much, which leads us to Acts chapter 13. This is incredible. Before I read it, I just want you to know, it's a supernatural moment that is confirmation to Paul and Barnabas, ultimately, of what God had called them to do. And... Um, but you have to be willing to do something before you ever get confirmation from man. That's the key to doing something original on this earth and walking in the call of God upon your life. Paul wrote to Timothy later and he said, make full proof of your ministry. Paul believed in Timothy's call, but Timothy in the city that he was in had a lot of resistance. And not everybody believed that Timothy was called or had the same authority or same power as Paul. And Paul said these words, make full proof of your ministry. Be instant in season and out of season. You had to just be willing to step out and prove what the Lord has laid on your heart to do. People don't see it, but you feel it by the Spirit of God, and you've got to bring it into this world. Amen? But if you're sitting back, waiting for someone to send you forth, you're going to miss what God has in store for your life. And a lot of people do that. The modern-day church has gotten so hungry for prophetic words, you missed out on the fact that the Spirit that prophesies is on the inside of you always. 
And so you have access to the voice. Prophecy in the New Covenant Church is meant to be confirmation to what the Spirit has already spoke to you. But too many people aren't even listening to the Spirit and they're wanting a prophetic word. Well, what happens when that dude isn't even flowing with the Spirit, but he sounded like you because he practiced it and he sounds right and he sends you in the middle of somewhere you're not supposed to be in? You're like, God, why did you send me here? And the Lord's like, I didn't send you there. Yahoo brains with pizza on his brain spoke to you and you believed it. If you'd learned to listen to the Spirit, how many people, the, the Spirit's ever restrained you from something? Come on. Some of the best leading God will give you is sometimes it's just almost like a hand upon you to say, no, not now, not there, not over there. Thank God for all those moments he just had the comfort, he just had the... The supernatural ability to hold you back. And then how many times you felt to release by God into something that your mind is even telling you, why would you do that? But God releases you in it. And you basically, your whole time, you got this whole fight. Your spirit's saying yes, your mind's saying no. <laughs> yeah, you know what I'm talking about. And when everybody asks, how you doing? You always respond with, great, wonderful, doing great. Yeah. <laughs> totally got this thing figured out. Shukurabababababa. Like... <laughs> And actual fact, you really want to know? I'm, I'm halfway on fire, halfway really, really scared right now. <laughs> you know, but it's okay. It's okay. Catch me at the right time, I'm on fire. Catch me at the wrong time. I'll get myself back in line. Well, Acts 13, it says, Among the prophets and teachers of the church in Antioch of Syria were Barnabas, Simeon, called the black man, Lucius from Cyrene, uh, Manea, the childhood companion of King Herod Antipas, Antipas and Saul. One day, as these men were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Appoint Barnabas and Saul for the special work to which I have called them. So after more fasting and prayer, the men laid their hands on them and sent them on their way. So Barnabas and Saul were sent out by the Holy Spirit. It's awesome. For the record, these guys had already been functioning as apostles. They had already been strengthening churches. They had already been pioneering cities and going where nobody else was going. They had been preaching the words with signs, miracles, following the preaching. They had stood before people in, in Jerusalem. They had been used mightily of God. It's not like these people were sitting back, doing nothing, waiting for someone to say, now's your time to do something. They were flat out operating in the call before they ever got the title. Titles are not the key to great things. Titles are just man later recognizing what God has already birthed and started in you. Amen. If you're waiting for the title, you're never going to do anything for God. Forget the title. Take all the titles away. Every title you ever obtain, you just need to lay at the feet of Jesus anyways. Because he's the one that's worthy of every great title. He's the teacher. He's the master. He's the pastor, the prophet, the teacher, the evangelist. He's all of those things. His glory is untouchable. Forget people. Live for that. Live so that your life points people to Jesus Christ. And the radical thing about Barnabas, what people don't realize, I don't think he gets enough credit in the body of Christ. Barnabas was the one that found Saul when everybody else was scared to trust what Saul said. Old Barney. Got to love Barney. I call him Barney. We have a great relationship. When I get to heaven, me and Barney are going to go fishing. But... He found Saul, and he brought him to Jerusalem, and he was not ashamed of Saul. He stood time after time. And if you read the book of Acts, all the way up until Acts chapter 16, it is always said, Barnabas and Saul, Barnabas and Saul. Only at Acts 16 do we see the call of Peter or Paul's life take preeminence, and it says then Paul and Barnabas. 
It might be at the very end of Acts chapter 15, beginning of Acts 16. But basically, there's a shift at that moment where the focus of the book of Acts follows the apostle Paul from that moment forward. But up until then, Saul wouldn't have got to be Paul and where he got if Barnabas hadn't had land, sold it, and put it at the apostles' feet way back in Acts chapter 2. Barnabas took everything that he owned and he laid it at the feet of the apostles. And one thing that always shook me about that is that when you read all the way up in Acts 14, the Spirit of God speaks to the church in Antioch. And it tells them that there is a famine coming across the land. And the Bible says the believers in Antioch gathered together and began to pray and sought the Lord and came up with a solution that they would raise funds and they would give it to Barnabas to bring back to Jerusalem to give to the church because the man that's willing to give everything is the man that can be entrusted to carry the deliverance for somebody else. Are you with? Do you get that right now? See, it all begins at a moment when nobody's looking. It doesn't happen at the place where everybody's praying and fasting and you get called out. It happens at the place of surrender when no one's watching and no one cares and no one knows your name, but you're willing to give it all and lay it at the feet of the cross and say, Jesus, here I am. You're my first, my last, my all, my everything. My life is yours. It's hidden in Christ. I'll never look back. My hand is to the plow and plowing I will go. And when you have that conviction, you will produce something where men later come on board and say, something is different about this person. And I don't think there's any other way. I think it literally comes to that point, especially for ministry. Those that launch in ministry, when I went in ministry, it cost me everything I had. I was ridiculed. I was made fun of. People in our family mocked us hit me so deep it hurt I cried and I had to just forgive and forgive by faith because they said all sorts of stuff not providing for your family you're a loser what are you doing living hand to mouth all of these things you have nothing but Jesus you don't have a following my gosh you wish you had a following you wish you had one person call you and say I believe in your in your ministry but nobody does you think that all these people are going to support you and no one supports you and Ten years, and this is nine years, actually. Mother's Day will be nine years in full-time ministry. And I don't say this because I'm angry, but I want you to hear this. In nine years of full-time ministry, only one time in nine years has anybody in my family given to our ministry. One time in nine years has somebody given to the ministry in my personal family. You think that these people would rally behind you? No. You only have the Holy Ghost. You have the Spirit of God. You gotta follow Him. You gotta trust Him. You gotta stop looking for acknowledgement from men. You gotta realize that sometimes what God will lead you to is so uncomfortable and it will not be applauded. And other times people will love what you bring. The reality is, though, if you only go where you're celebrated, you will never change a life. Because they're already in agreement with you. Barnabas and Saul were sought out, They they were spoken and released by the Spirit of God, and they went fervently from that place forward and began to change the world just by the purity in their hearts these guys were full of the anointing of God because they were willing to lay everything talk about Saul Saul laid everything down on the road to Damascus everything that he once was he laid it down and everybody that he once threatened now hated him and wanted to kill him those were the ones he was driven to go and preach the gospel to He lived with constant death threats. If you ever read the part where Paul talks about what happened to him, three times he was stoned, four times he was shipwrecked, eight times he was, I mean, it's like crazy. You're like, good gosh. 
And he just kept going because he realized it doesn't matter what happens to me on this earth. It only matters that when I get to the other side, I did everything he told me to do. Thanks for listening to the River Claremont podcast. If you'd like to partner with us in seeing lives touched and changed by the love and power of Jesus, you can give online at www.riverclaremont.com. Your prayers and financial support are changing lives.